Lord. We just thank you for your goodness. And Lord, we recognize you as king. Lord, we thank you for your sweet presence just permeating every room. Hallelujah. Truly, 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 you are king. And we worship you this Glory morning. Glory to your name. Hallelujah. 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 Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? It is so good to be with you this morning. I just thank the Lord for you. God is good, church. God is on the move. He's just, uh, uh, th- this, this whole time has been, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of good during this time of quarantine. There's a lot of good things happening. I know that there's a lot of bad stuff out there happening. God is on the move. God is doing some very powerful things. I, I want to share a couple of things with you. Um, I've got a very special uh, visitor here this morning. Uh, well, she's not visiting. She's actually just going to join us this morning. Victoria is just going to uh, uh, be a part of the message this morning. And uh, so I want to do this first before we get there. Um, I, I want to say probably, I want to say probably a few weeks ago, uh, probably now a couple of months ago, Victoria and I were having conversations and uh, she had been expressing to me, she says, Dad, I'm seeing the word repentance all over the place. I, I'm hearing about this in my dreams. I, I just know that the Lord is speaking this to me. And my only response to her was, honey, just go ahead and search it out. God is speaking something to you, and he wants to, he wants to begin to develop that thing. And, and, uh, and as time would go on, and I'm asking God, what is it that you want us to see during this time of quarantine? What is it that you want us to understand? God, what do you want me to to, to talk about? What, what kind of message do you want me to express unto the people? And so um, when, when I ask you to go ahead and share this, um, once again, it's not for, for the advancement of New One Ministries. It's for the advancement of His Word. I believe that God is, spe- is speaking a very specific word in this season. And, uh, and so I'm just going to ask you to do that right now, that if you haven't shared this yet, uh, I'm going to want you to share this because I think you're going to get something very special today as to the direction of the Lord and what the Lord is speaking to this generation. And I believe that it's going to be a message that's going to be uh, continually unpacked, continually developed, and especially for this time and this season that we're in. And it has everything to do with the message of repentance and, uh, and so as Victoria and I were talking about this a couple of months back, I, I had a conversation probably about a week ago with uh, Pastor Becky and Pastor Calvin. We were sitting in my office and we were discussing some things about the church. And, uh, and of course, we're discussing um, what is God speaking to you. And I always love sitting down with Becky and Calvin and, uh, and just being able to hear the word of the Lord. What is the Lord God speaking to you right now? And, uh, and I, I do that because it, it brings a sense of confirmation to, to see what the Lord is speaking to myself, and I do that with other people, and, and uh, to hear the confirmation of the Lord. And, and the same message that they had as well, too, was righteousness and repentance. And uh, we began to have that discussion a little bit further. We began to talk about repentance and what repentance looks like, what it looked like, 20 years ago, what it looked like 40 years ago, what repentance looked like, looked like 60 years ago, and, uh, 
In my understanding of repentance, uh, Pastor Becky and Calvin's understanding of repentance, because of, of course, the age difference, they're like parents, spiritual parents to me. And, uh, and so what was the essence of repentance back when they were younger, when they gave their hearts to Christ? What did repentance mean when, uh, when my generation came up? Because the same repentance that we were talking about is not necessarily the same repentance of today. And so this was a, a, a conversation that we began to talk about a little bit more. And I had mentioned, I said, you know what, Victoria just mentioned something like this to me, and it, it's been on her heart. So I just knew that the Lord was just uh, speaking to us and that the Lord wanted to develop something and wanted to develop a message um, that uh, he is wanting to uh, be released in this area, in this, in, in this region, not just this region, but I believe in, in this nation. And so I want to read you a couple of scriptures that that was uh, that I had read a couple of weeks ago, or I think it was last week or last Sunday. And I want to go to Jeremiah chapter 18. Let's go ahead and go to that scripture. Jeremiah chapter 18, and we're going to read verses 15 through 16. But this is out of the Message Bible. This is a very powerful portion of Scripture. And, and I just wanted to give it to you in the Message uh, Translation because I believe that it just kind of gives it a little bit more in the understanding of, of our language in uh, this nation. So take a look. It says, the prophet was speaking, But my people have left me to worship the big lie. They've gotten off the track, the old, worn, trail and now bushwhacked through underbrush in a tangle of roots and vines their lands going to end up their land is going to end up a mess a fool's memorial to be spit on travelers passed through passing through will shake their heads in disbelief and so uh, the portion there that i really wanted you to pay attention to is that they've gotten off the track, the old worn trail. And so I'm going to read another portion of this in, in, in Jeremiah chapter 6, starting at verse 16. Let's go ahead and let's go there. And it says it again, but like this, God's message yet again, go stand at the crossroads and look around. Ask for directions to the old road the tried and true road. Then take, then take it, discover the right route for your souls. But they said, nothing doing. We aren't going that way. I even provided watchmen for them to warn them to set off the alarm. But the people said, it's a false alarm. It doesn't concern us. And I read those scriptures, and it just began to move me on the inside. And I began to take a look at the culture that we're in. Church, we have to always take a look at the culture we're in, because this life is a whole lot more than just ourselves. And we take a look at the culture that we're in, and even our Christianity and our younger generations, I believe, I believe, with all my heart, that the younger generation has been preached a, a gospel that has been watered down, that they have been given words uh, like repentance, but not given them the full understanding of what repentance really means. And uh, Victoria uh, is going to express that a little bit. She's going to give it from, from, her, uh, from her point of view, her perspective as to what the Lord had begun to speak to her. But I think this is so, so very powerful 
because I, I believe that we do have a generation of Christians, not just Christians, but just unbelievers or those that are on the fence or those that have backslidden, that they say it just like this, even though the word says, discover the right route for your souls, but they said nothing doing, we are going, we're not going that way. And I believe that there is a generation before us that, that has had, uh, in essence, the old road before them. <clears throat> But they wouldn't listen to the minority. They wouldn't listen to the minority that was speaking that, that you need to get back on the old road and understand what these words really meant. But there were other ones that were speaking uh, large messages of, of grace that kind of got conscrewed with other things. And, and therefore, we lost the meaning of many of those old words that are on the old path. And so... Uh, I'm just going to begin to hand it over to my daughter for just a moment because uh, Victoria has had a word uh, in this season uh, that I believe that the Lord is developing in her for this generation that is right before us. And so uh, we may, uh, we're doing this a little bit different today, of course. This is my daughter, Victoria. And uh, uh, I just believe the word of the Lord that's within her this morning um, and that God is going to continue to develop this and unpack it. I believe that this is a word for this generation that's before us. And God is getting ready to, uh, to do something so powerful in the younger generation. But listen here. They must understand the old path. They must understand the words that are hanging on the walls of the trail of the old path. And they must understand the genuineness of those words. And I believe that Victoria is just going to, she's just going to share some things that I just believe is really putting this front and center. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank Go you. Go ahead, love. Yeah, so this is going to be a little bit different this morning where the format is more of a conversation. Um, and I'm just sharing some of my notes that I, I gathered. As I was digging into the, into this, I just shared with him some things that I found. And he was just like, oh, wow, like, you know, we should talk about that. You know, we should um, just have a conversation about that. And um, I think how, how fitting for us to just have a conversation in, in our own living room, in your living room. Um, and it's just more uh, comfortable. But I think especially on the topic of repentance um, <clears throat> and things like these um, that we're, we're not talking about it a lot. Um, and so what a perfect opportunity for us to just be comfortable um, in our own rooms and living rooms and talk about some of the things that um, can get us outside of our, our places of comfort. Um, and repentance, it, it's a word that we should be we should be comfortable with. We should be okay with talking about it, but why aren't we talking about it? We're not talking about it. And I can show you some things that really just grab my interest really quickly to, um, to kind of show me and give me more of a visual of um, the reality that we aren't talking about it a lot. So real quickly, repentance, just the basic um, concept of it um, from dictionary.com is repentance is the action of repenting. It's sincere reg regret or remorse. And um, Google has these really cool um, tools that you can now use just for analytics and, and different things like that to start seeing trends within um, culture and trends throughout history. And one thing that they recently came out with was called the Ngram uh, Viewer. Yeah, and um, if you want to uh, put up that slide really quickly, you'll see that it's basically just showing you a trend throughout history. And you see this trend um, throughout time. And I simply did a search on the word repentance. And 
what I really want us to focus on is that last peak right there from about the 1800s and then down through 2008. It only goes through 2008. I wanted to kind of hone in on the 2000s up to 2020, but um, it really doesn't go that far. Um, and so you can see we're on a downward slope and it has really stayed there. So you can go ahead and take that away, thank you. Um, and so what I'm really grasping from this visual is that we were talking a lot about repentance and what you saw there was um, every time that the word repentance appeared in any sort of print. So if it was in old newspapers, if it was in old books and publications, it, it showed up in that graph. And so what I saw throughout time was that we really are not talking about repentance anymore. Very little to none are we talking about repentance or even the word repent, the word repent has the same downward slope um, and we're not talking about it a lot. And so that really grasped my attention. Um, and I started looking into maybe reasons as to why or um, different things like that and thinking culturally. The second part of a um, definition that I really wanted to bring out was um, from the Strong's Concordance, now taking a look at repentance from the word. Um, it talks about repentance being There's a word in it called metanoia, and it's a turning unto God. And it's um, a change of mind appearing to one who repents of a purpose he has formed or of something he has done. Now, this is the word that I really want to focus in on here on this definition. It says a compunction for guilt, including reformation, by implication or reversal of another's decision, repentance. That word compunction really um, caught my attention because it was so different. Um, and I honestly didn't know what compunction meant. So I looked it up and what compunction um, means is an anxiety arising from awareness of guilt, distress of mind over an anticipated action or result, um, and a twinge of misgiving. And the origins of that word actually um, go back from Middle English and Latin. And what the origins are really related to are a physical, like a prick, or to prick sharply. And so what this whole definition was showing me, um, a twinge of misgiving, distress of mind, anxiety, this was really pointing to physical effects of um, the notion of repentance, of what is related to repentance. I know that when I've done something wrong and I knew it, I felt it in my gut. There was um, a, a physical prick in, in, my, in my conscience, and I physically felt that. And that, wor that um, part of compunction, the anxiety arising, um, really caught my attention. And I thought, thinking about that graph and looking back at that trend in history that we're not talking about repentance. We're not talking about it. Could there be, could there possibly be any relation between our lack of talking about repentance, between our lack of repentance and the fact that we're the most anxious generation to date? We're experiencing so much anxiety and so much um, physical distress and mental distress, could it be that we're not talking about repentance? 
There's so much that what repentance does when, when, and we're going to go further into Matthew 3, 1 through 12, where John the Baptist prepares the way. And I'm jump, jumping forward. Do you want to jump in? You know, I, I just got to, I just have a thought when I, when I take a look at that graph. Can we bring that graph back up uh, just for another moment? This is so interesting to me because <clears throat> when you take a look at that graph, uh, you take a look at round about, uh, uh, where is it, uh, two th the year 2000, and then you have some, some big movements in the uh, 1800s, okay, and then you have some other movements back in the uh, 1700s, and you go back into, you know, uh, the Martin Luther times and when the Protestant movement was really gaining steam in the 1600s, 1650s, into the 1700s, and you go into Azusa Street in the 1800s, I I'm sorry, early uh, 19th, uh, 1900 there, and you see that that the very aspect of repentance uh, has just been going on the downslope in regards to talking about it or understanding it or having the need for it. It's just something so powerful to me. But you can see that through the Protestant movement times, there was great uh, uh, discussion about repentance and even the understanding of what repentance really means. Because uh, I think that sometimes, uh, especially when you look at the, the 2000s, going into the 2000s, you've had the, the big grace movement and the, the misunderstanding of the grace movement. Uh, there's a good teaching and a right teaching of the grace movement. Um, but there, if you can take a look, just one more time, just put it up there one more time, honey. Uh, if you look through it there, going into the 2000s, and it even after 2008, it even takes another dip uh, of the discussion or... How many times the word repent, repentance, repenting, or the fact of repentance is in books or documentation, even on the Internet, and the conversation is just not there like it used to be? And so I, this concerns me, I mean, especially when it comes to the younger generation and how the younger generation feels about the word repentance. And so you had some other uh, interesting points about that. Go ahead and share that. Yeah. We're just not talking about it, but why aren't we talking about it? Um, Matthew 3, 1 through 12, um, I just picked out a few things from there. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Jumping to verse 8, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones, bearing fruits worthy of repentance. John, he further goes to say, I, I baptize you, um, I baptize you unto repentance, but there's one who's coming uh, more worthy than me, um, who is baptizing under the Holy Spirit, and, and it goes on. And, but a baptism has to do with some sort of cleansing. There's an immerse. There's a cleansing. And there's a correlation between repentance and being baptized. Repentance and, and baptism, being immersed, being cleansed. That repentance brings forth a cleansing and a washing. And, and later in the word, it talks about how, how um, repent that, so that it would bring forth times of refreshing. And our soul needs that. But right here where John was saying, bear fruits worthy of repentance. You have to keep bearing those fruits that are worthy of that repentance. That repentance, John wasn't just talking about a one-time 
repentance. He's expounding and he's saying, you who are talking to me, Pharisees, you're coming against me. And, but he's saying, you need to bear the fruits that are worthy of that repentance, of that turning unto the Lord. So bearing those fruits, it's, it's a continual process. It's a continual falling under the lordship of Christ. And that's what that repentance, repenting for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's what we're going to talk about as we go um, further. Have anything to share before? Um, no, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> All right, so I want to break this down a little bit because we have repent and then for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, from my spirit-filled notes, these, this was just really, um, it, it just broke down everything to me. So I just want to share it with you and then we'll go forward. Repentance from the notes. It says, it's the message of the kingdom. It's the first call of the kingdom. It's repentance. The implications of the biblical repentance are threefold. Renunciation and reversal submission and teachability, and continual shapeability. There's that bearing fruits worthy of repentance. Um, there's no birth into the kingdom without hearing the call to salvation, renouncing one's sins and turning from sin toward Christ, the Savior. There's no growth, continual growth, in the kingdom without obedience to Jesus' commandments and a childlike responsiveness as a disciple of Jesus, yielding to the teaching of God's word. There's no lifelong increase of fruit as a citizen of the kingdom without a willingness to accept the Holy Spirit's correction and guidance. Um, again, I keep thinking, like, we're not talking about repentance. We're not talking about it a lot at all. And I just think of that downward um, trajectory. And um, what this is really talking about is it's realizing that there's some sort of authority other than myself that I must submit myself to. I, I have to, if there is a turning, I'm turning to something other than, than myself, than um, the ways and the laws, the statutes that I've decided to walk in. The kingdom, it's that defining hope. Now this is going further into the terminology of the kingdom. Um, what does this kingdom refer? It refers to God's sovereign rule in the universe. He is the king of the heavens. But more specifically here, it refers to the entry of God's long-anticipated anointed one, the prophesied Messiah, the promised son of David, who would not only be the savior, deliverer, and king of Israel, but of all hope. Declaring the kingdom at hand that is drawing near, John was announcing that the rule of God's king was about to overthrow the power and rule of all evil. Every time the word kingdom automatically points to someone in authority. It automatically points to someone who has authority and rulership over something or someone. There must be a continual coming under the lordship of Christ. I die daily that I might bear fruit and bear forth the fruit worthy of repentance. I repent regularly of my disobedience when I fall or come short. And I cannot receive the benefits of grace without a repentant heart. My ways are not his ways, but they become his ways as I continue to live under his covering as Lord of my life. And I want to point to our culture 
right now and what I'm seeing in my generation and why we're not talking about it, why we're not talking about repentance or to repent, why? Why would someone even want to start repenting? Why would my generation want to start repenting if they don't know wh why? Why am I sorry? When in, in my, our culture, our generation right now, we have had relative, relativism sweep throughout our our being, our life, our culture, and it's not just on the outside, but it has seeped into the church, and this morning, we're talking about repentance and um, revisiting it. Yes, this can, we can shape this and be towards um, those who don't even know Christ yet, um, but we really, I, I myself, I know, um, we really want to actually awaken the church. We talk about awakening the body of Christ. This, this word is as much, if not more, even for the body of Christ right now um, than the people who don't even know Jesus yet. The church, we've been in such a place of compromise. Right now, what God is bringing his church into is a grow-up moment where he's saying, I'm calling you higher, that I, I will not heed to compromise anymore. There's a time that the Lord in his grace and in his mercy, he, he doesn't lift his hand even though we've turned and, and we've compromised. But there comes a time where God starts lifting his hand and we choose to walk in the ways opposite of him and we continue to walk in that compromise that he, he says, be holy, for I yes. am holy. Yes. He is a holy God. And if, <coughs> if we can't remain close to him and daily die to ourselves and walk in a daily repentance, I, I know just, and this isn't just, you know, for big, I don't know, big sins or, or whatever like that, but there are even, it could be the smallest things in our eyes, um, but it matters to him that you feel that pricking. There, there's a, a certain walk that the Lord has called you to. I know there, there are certain things that the Lord has told me to do personally and to walk in personally that I could look at someone else's walk and be like, well, they're a good Christian and God's not telling them to do this. And he's like, but I didn't tell them to walk this way. I told you to walk this way. And my obedience to that word is what matters. And if I don't obey that, I need to repent for that. Mm -hmm. Because his word is um, holy. His word is sovereign. And even a couple weeks ago, I was just, um, I was at work and um, we were taking phone calls. And of course, um, everyone is distressed and what they're going through. And I take, um, part of my job is I, um, we work in workforce management, so um, we kind of manage who's here today, who's not. We take in um, calls um, from the, our uh, our reps on the phones um, if they're going to be here or not, and um, sometimes you just get in conversations with them, and you're just real with them. Um, and, you know, when you call in for work, sometimes you're having a really bad day, um, and you can't hide your emotions. Um, and someone had called in, and uh, she started crying, and she said her mother passed away, 
and of course we're in, we were in the heat of COVID and, and people were passing away and, and stuff happening. So I, I didn't know the reason, um, but I could imagine how hard it must have been for her that you know she couldn't even see her mother and, and stuff like that. And um, she was just crying and my heart broke for her. And, and already I had all these thoughts like coming against me, like, you know, ugh, like I'm horrible with talking to people. Just, I don't know what to say. And, you know, I feel so bad and just trying to think of words and stuff like that. Like, do I comfort her? Like we're getting so many calls right now. Do I prolong the conversation? And already I'm in this battlefield of the mind when this woman, you know, who knows, could have just needed like, hey, I'm here for you, you know, or hey, it's okay, you know, and, um, you know, and I was gentle with her and, you know, and um, the conversation ended, um, and we didn't really even go further. We, I didn't say anything, and I felt something in my heart. I was like, should I have said something? Like, you know, was it the moment to witness or, 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 or what? And I was just battling with these thoughts, and sometimes I, we overthink these things so much, and it's just like, come on. And, but I felt that, that compunction in my heart. I felt that, that almost that tiny grief of like, yeah, I needed you to say something right now. And, um, and so I was like, okay. And so I started taking calls again, and wouldn't you know it. And so I have a team of about nine people. And the way that the calls come in is they come in randomly. So it, it's, um, you know, whoever's next to get a call just gets the call. And um, so out of nine people who got, could have gotten the call, I got this lady again. And um, I could tell it was her, and she said her name. And um, she was just distressed. And I already knew that I should have said something to her, just should have opened the conversation. And, um, you know, and I was like, well, maybe she doesn't want to talk about it, you know, and stuff like that. And I started battling again. And I just... I didn't, I didn't go further with her. I just was very gentle. Thank you. You know, um, nope, I've got this all set for you and stuff like that. So I was just very gentle with her, but I didn't say anything else to really bring comfort to her or, you know, anything other than, you know, I'm sorry for your loss and stuff like that. Um, but I knew the Holy Spirit was just leading me to say something else, to open that door. And this whole time I'm worried about, you know, like, what if I lose my job talking about, you know, Jesus or just, you know, I'll pray for you. You know, you hear the craziest things. And so my mind is battling with all this in the midst of it. But I ended the call again. And I knew I had that compunction. And I knew that I knew that I should have said something and just have gone with the leading of the Holy Spirit and just continue that conversation. And, but all that to say, what I felt after that, it was that compunction. It was that, that little prick in my soul and my heart saying, I needed you. I needed you to be my voice in that moment. I needed you to be a vessel of my peace in that moment. And that's what we're here for. And then it's like that flood of like, oh, I should have, you know. But that's like, that's that sort of repentant compunction that if I do not ever feel that, Lord, help me. Yes. You know, like if I ever become numb to that feeling, that's where we become lost. And that's what we were talking about earlier is that when we don't feel that, that's what leads us to repentance, that compunction, that feeling of I was in the wrong, you know. And if, if I don't feel that, then 
there's no avenue for me to turn. There's no sure. way for me to turn and realize. Um, and so that's that's a that's a daily thing that I had to die to my pride and just die to this thing and say, Lord, forgive me, forgive me. I repent of this this pride or whatever it it was, and I repent of it and I turn and I declare your boldness into my heart. I declare your boldness and and your faith into my soul, and then it's that turning that turning, you know, but that's a daily, that's those, the bearing the fruits worthy of that repentance. What he did for me on the cross, he's empowered me to walk that out every day, um, you know, and so that's that daily thing, but it's coming under that lordship. In that moment, I needed to come under the lordship of Christ, the yes. lordship of Holy Spirit, and allow him just to be who he wants to be through my life. You know, you it's know? interesting, <coughs> just kind of jump in there for just a moment, um, when I when I listen to people talk, uh, specifically about my daughter here as she's speaking, I'm just hearing different aspects of of repentance that that are not really discussed in today's conversation with the younger generation. and And I take a look at the older generation. I take a look at many of the message me messages that have been online or or messages <coughs> that have been spoken. Um, you know, with televangelists and and many different uh, individuals, and and there's the aspect of repentance that, that there's the truth of repentance, um, but it's not been spoken by the older generation leading into this younger generation. And to a certain extent, I'm sure that it has, but uh, a big fault of what I see today is that is that that purity of repentance uh, with godly sorrow. Um, uh, gets ministered and, and talked to, even with children as they are young. Um, you know, I, I, I talk about this kind of subject, and it always brings me back to where we were, we were living in Clarkston, and what, one of the things that I would try to do with my daughters is that when they did something wrong, is that uh, rather than, and there were times I had to kind of give them a little, uh, a little uh, whooping on their behind, but there were other times to where I'd, I'd try to talk to them and allow them to see the hurt that was in my heart because of what they did or what they said. And so I wanted them to feel that. I wanted them to feel what I felt. Um, and so I would sit them down, have conversations with them, and then I would use these particular words. I would use these words that say, Honey, you really hurt my feelings when you did this. Um, because it, it, it totally went against what we would talk about and how I, what we've been raising you, and, and you did something very different and very uh, disobedient, and so you really hurt my feelings. And it got to the point to where, okay, now they could feel me. They, they knew that they hurt my feelings, and, and, and I could see those fruits worthy of repentance because it, 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 it hurt them that they hurt me. Right. And so... Uh, uh, of course, it works on the flip side, too, okay, because my daughter, Victoria, this one right here, um, she sat down in front of me. She, in fact, uh, she sat down at the dinner table. She was probably, what, five years old, and, uh, and she put her head on the table. With It, it was really dramatic. It was real, and, and she, I sat down next to her on the other chair, and I said, honey, what's, what's wrong? And of she had, I, I think I did something. I don't even remember what I did. <laughs> I don't even remember what I did, but I did something. 
And, uh, and she went and she sat down and she put her head on the table and she put her head on the table and I says, honey, I reach over and I touch her and I says, honey, what's wrong? What's, what's bothering you? And she looks up at me with them big old puppy eyes and a little bit of a tear and she says, daddy, you hurt my feelings. <laughs> and, and it just broke me, I mean, it just broke me at that moment. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what did I do to hurt her feelings? Uh, do you remember what I did? I don't even remember uh, but I did something. I don't know what it was. I don't know if I threw her her little plush toy out or something, but whatever it was, either way, the point was this, was that it it hurt me to hurt her, okay? And this is something very powerful in relationships, and it was something that I, that I tried to, uh, we tried, my wife and I tried to foster in our relationship with our, with our children, that as they were out there in the, in the world, uh, you know, living life and, and, and being around other kids, that they wouldn't do certain things, not necessarily because God would would get angry at them. Of course, there was always that aspect of God, but so that they wouldn't go beyond the limits of what we raised them in, the boundaries as to how we raised them. And when they did, uh, they knew that there was something that that they hurt mom and dad's heart when they did it. And and I'm sharing this because... um, uh, the, there's a portion of scripture that we'll get to here toward the end that talks about that uh, godly sorrow produces repentance, repentance leading unto salvation. And this is this is a portion of scripture that I don't think is talked about very often because we want people to repent, but these are the fruits that you're talking about. There must be the sorrowful feeling. There must be that that feeling of grief or that feeling that, man, I just missed it. That man, I just I, I know that God was wanting me to do this and I didn't do it. And so with that being the conversation uh, a little bit, there's there's the different aspects of repentance of course there's the repentance that that comes to the place of of uh godly sorrow before salvation but then some of the repentance that you're talking about as well too is is not a repentance and, and i think that we forget about this mm-hmm. uh, especially in, in in our culture today with the younger generations is that it's not just asking for forgiveness it's feeling that godly sorrow and that there must be a time of repentance for that moment. And you're already a believer. You're already a Christian. You're already in the kingdom of God. But if the repentance portion, if you're just asking for forgiveness and then there's no repentance, then you're just asking God to forgive you what, what you did wrong and let's just continue without there being any kind of turning away from that particular circumstance or how you, how you did that. Yeah. So uh, I, I totally feel what, what you felt there with that, that woman um, when you were speaking to her because um, there was that prick on the inside of your spirit man that just felt like I missed it. Right. I missed it and, and I... I, I, in essence, hurt the father's feelings. Right, and that that right there, I think, is what we want to kind of hone in on, especially for us in the church, um, because again, we we're crying. Let there be an, an awakening in the church. We can't. Let's be real. We can't not say that the large portion of the church we've bought into some things that our culture has has put in us has put on us and around us we've bought into some of these lies because they've they've been deceptive and i'll share just for example but we're talking about that feeling that compunction and why um it's so important that we continue to feel that and allow that to be our guide unto the father and that turning unto the father um but for example 
um, when you have been given the counterfeit for so long and the counterfeit um, is all around you, your soul, your heart cries out for truth and reality. Um, and that's what I knew that we would begin to start seeing in this generation and our generation as a lot of these lies started seeping into a identity, um, the essence of life, the value of life. Um, for example, we'll go there. There's different things all under the umbrella of political correctness. And I'm speaking from my generation specifically. We've seen in the last 10 to 15 years, that umbrella of political correctness really seep into the church and deceive us under the guise of, I don't want to hurt someone. Of course I don't want to hurt someone. You don't want to hurt anyone either. Repentance is not about being, it's not about hurting someone. Truth is not about hurting someone or condemning someone to death. That's not, that's not what that's about. And we need to understand that this conversation has to continue to happen. The conversation of repentance has to continue to happen. But we've, we've allowed that umbrella of political correctness to seep into the church under the guise of we don't want to hurt anyone because if we do, then they're going to be turned off to Christianity. Um, and I was like, that's so true. And especially growing up through middle school and high school and college, hearing that all around, it begins to shape the way that you feel about talking about things and bringing things up. Because when you're getting so much of that and you're not getting a lot of, we need to talk about repentance. We need to talk about righteousness. We need to talk about holiness. When, when something starts to outweigh the other thing, it's hard to combat that. It becomes your truth. It becomes your yes. north. And that's why it's so important that we continue to talk about this. We continue to talk about God. He wants us to be holy. He says, be holy for I am holy. And, um, yeah, go ahead. You, you were expressing to me earlier about um, the aspect of repentance, holiness, uh, we were talking about sorrow, and yet we were talking about how that there are many that you see in your generation um, that that talk about subjects and believe in subjects, one of them being even abortion within the church, uh, and how that, that whole aspect of abortion is is not even something that that is really discussed within the church. But the aspect of, of, okay, did we do something wrong? And if they did do something wrong, then they asked for forgiveness, which is just, God, forgive me. But then there is no repentance. There's no turning. So <clears throat> even the, the very thought of that to an older generation or even to, to, to some young generational people is like almost like a, a no-brainer to them somehow. But the aspect of, of knowing the difference between repentance, true, genuine, sorrowful repentance, uh, bearing fruit, 
worthy of repentance. That means that, that they're not even worthy to turn yet until that fruit of sorrowness has been hit. Yeah. And so here we have these different topics within the church. I mean, in, in today's society, in today's culture, of course, uh, uh, being a Christian and living together before marriage is something that, that is just, it's a part of, uh, this happens in many churches. It happens in many different uh, uh, arenas. It's almost like uh, the church is kind of no different from the world in that respect. Mm -hmm. and, and I believe, like what you're ministering, like what you're sharing, is that because the old path has not been adequately and purely given to the next generation. And this is, this is now where the two generations must join together. This is where both generations must join together because the younger needs the wisdom of the older generation and the older generation needs the vibrance and, and, and zeal of the younger generation. This is now, there can no longer be, the, be a separation where the generations say, the younger says, no, we'll, we'll handle it this way. Like it said there in that scripture, it said, no, we're not going that way. I, I can see the younger generation kind of saying that in their own uh, terminology. No, we're not going that way. We're, we're going to do it this way. And, uh, and they neglect the fact of, of genuine, genuine sorrow and repentance. And you're going to see, I, I'm speaking prophetically now, you're going to see this message of genuine sorrow and repentance begin to be spoken and begin to be launched from so many different platforms because it's what God is speaking in this hour. It's what God is doing. You, you cannot have the next great awakening. You cannot have the next great movement of God. You cannot have this, this, this new era that's coming forth, a decade of decrees, without ministering the gospel and, and the fresh word of repentance. So revisiting repentance is something that's going to be on the forefront, especially during the year of 2019, because you cannot have evangelism mm -hmm. without understanding genuine repentance yeah. in 2020. And talking about evangelism and just going into how, um, how not into it millennials are. Um, Barna just did a study, I think it was last year, um, and um, it really shocked me when I heard this. Um, but it makes so much sense when thinking about that umbrella of political correctness. And um, we've really bought into it in the church. We have, we have compromised here, and we need to repent of that. Many millennials are unsure about the actual practice of evangelism. It was saying earlier in the article that if someone asked them about their faith, they would be able to, be able to share on it. But many millennials are unsure about actually practicing evangelism in hopes that someone would come to know Jesus. So almost half of millennials, 47%, agree at least somewhat that it is actually wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share some faith or share the same faith. Um, and that really shocked me. Mm. To, and even the wording wow. on that, that they believed it was or agreed it was wrong to do so. That, like, what are we here for? Yeah. And what is, like, are we, and just on these different topics and this, you know, abortion and different things in the church, it's like, are we, are we serving the same Jesus? Are we reading the same yes. Bible? Like, yes. do we, uh, do we read the same commission that he sent out that said, go out into all the earth and preach the gospel? Are we following the same Jesus? Or 
have we been fed so much of the counterfeit that we don't know what's real anymore? But, and this is probably one of the last things I'll share is when you, when you start feeding a product or when you start giving a product something that it's not supposed to have or it wasn't designed for, it starts to malfunction. We, we've been having trouble with one of our irons here and um, uh, we were using the wrong type of water and it would sit there a little bit and um, it was starting to rust and just get old. It's an older iron too, but um, still, the um, we were putting the wrong water in it and it was sitting and... Um, Can I say something before that? I need I need to add this little p this little piece because this talks about generations and this is this is the comical side of generations. Um, as she's sharing this, we were talking about an iron that okay w we iron our clothes, um, but there's a huge part of the generation day that doesn't iron their clothes at all. Uh, really, there there is. I mean. <laughs> Okay, you, let me uh, just clarify. He thinks that I don't iron no, my clothes. No, she does. She does. She's pretty I good at it. I iron my clothes. Um, she, she does uh, a fair job. I was at, I was at the okay. store. I was purchasing. <laughs> I was purchasing some. Uh, uh, I went to go buy some starch, okay, to, for, you know, for my clothes, to iron my clothes. And the young man, her generation, uh, the young man uh, that was bagging my, my groceries, he says, uh, what is this? And uh, and I looked at him, I'm, you know, in my mind, I, w I probably wasn't in the best mood. OK, I was just a little bit sarcastic. And uh, and I, I said to myself, well, it says so right on the can what it is. It's starch. And I didn't tell him that, but I said it's starch. Uh, he says, well, what's it for? What do you do with it? And I thought to myself, are you kidding me? What do you mean? What do you do with it? You use it to, to spray on your shirt. I didn't say that. OK, I didn't say that. I just said you use this to, you know, spray on your clothes so that you can get a nice crisp, uh, uh, um, you know, ironing out of it. And uh, and the guy behind me looked at me. I looked at him, and he says, "It's the generation they don't they don't iron." I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, that's well, probably you know true." Don't judge my generation <laughs> on one person. Okay? No, I'm just I have saying. faith in my generation. <laughs> God is on the move in my yes, generation, whether yes, we iron is. our clothes or not. Yes, he is. So. I said all that to, to add to hers <laughs> was that we have this thing at home, okay, that, that we have an iron and you put some water in the iron and, and, uh, and so the younger generation uses it differently than the older generation and it just, that's what happened. And so here she, she has a, a great example and I'm just going to hand this off to her <laughs> again, Thanks. but it, it's just a comical thing, the differences between generations that that God begins to do things and that we need each other. We yes, really we do. do. <laughs> we really need each other. Um, but the whole thing of it was is that we weren't, we weren't treating this iron the way that it was supposed to be treated, right? Um, when, you, when a product is not given what it was designed to be used for or how it was designed to be used or treated improperly, it begins to malfunction. We are inherently created for truth. Romans 1.19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Each person is inherently created with that, that conscience of pointing due north, of, of just this aching and longing for truth and substance. And 
And when we lose sight of this in our culture, when we continue to become gods unto ourselves, and that's what we're really saying here is, is I want to be a god unto myself. That's what we're saying here. In, these, in, in this place of compromise, we're saying he is not God here, but I am. And, like, there's no getting around. Like, that is not how God functions. That is not his kingdom. He won't allow it. He says, I will not share my throne with another. He is God all by himself. And so when we start to compromise and we function differently than what we were inherently created for, that truth, we begin to malfunction. And we begin to just be separated from God, and we can't partake of the blessings and inheritance that he has called us to walk in. Um, yes. And that's just um, that funny thing that he was he was showing is that when we're inherently created for it. And that's that beautiful hope that you have with someone who maybe doesn't know Jesus yet is that they're inherently created for the truth. When you're given the counterfeit for so long and that becomes your truth, when you get the living water of Jesus, how much more so does your soul become alive sure. and instantly just recognize that truth that's spoken and, and you crave for it. They crave for it. Um, and so that's that was really beautiful for me. And then people begin to um, function the way that they were designed yeah. to function inside repentance, inside holiness. Um, and it's just really beautiful. You know, what's interesting about, about the story about the iron is that um, what she was expressing was that the problem that we had with our iron was that uh, we had left water on the inside of it, and then no one had used it for quite some time, and it created rust on the inside, and then you use it again, uh, and then it, it would get rust on your clothes. Well, here's the thing about that. Here's, here's the key thing about that. I may have taught them how to iron, but it did not teach them to remove the water after each use. So there again, it, it's like the older generation, when the older generation misses those things in regards to repentance or godly sorrow, they might talk about it, they might give you uh, the main statements about repentance or something like that, but when they leave out details about godly sorrow and bearing fruits worthy of repentance, um, listen to me. It's not the younger generation's fault. It's the older generation for not expressing and giving them proper vision to go after and give them proper understanding. Yeah. And so, you know what? Uh, let, me, uh, let me give you this, this, this small portion um, before we, we close today. But I want to give you this. So I began to look at that old trail or that old road uh, in regards to the gospel of salvation. And I began to revisit some of the words, and I could picture some of these words that we're talking about as we're traveling on this old, worn-down trail that uh, the Bible calls it an ancient trail. And I could see these, these pictures on the wall going down the road, and I could see the pictures of repentance and godly sorrow and holiness, uh, the fear of the Lord, the fear of God. You know what? I, I truly believe that this is one of the big, greatest things that's been missing is the genuine fear of God. How to, how to understand uh, why you would even need to fear God. If God is only addressed and God is only uh, 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 
preached about that he is always loving and that he is always, uh, uh, there's this aura, this cloud around him and pixie dust and clouds and feathers and, and, and that God doesn't have a side that brings chastisement or, or releases the wrath uh, of who he is, um, then we don't have the full spectrum of who God really is. And so um, I began to look at these words, just like uh, the word godly sorrow. When I talk about repentance, I, that's the word that I remember. When I hear my daughters talk about repentance or somebody else talk about repentance and where she expressed fruits worthy of repentance, there must genuinely be godly sorrow. That is the fruit that becomes produced even for God to accept your repentance. You're turning away from that. Repentance is not just forgiveness. It's not just asking for forgiveness, but it's taking a turn and saying, even though I did that, even though that's the way that I was, I'm going to turn from it. These, and you feel that, like you said, you felt that prick on the inside of you that caused you to even turn from that thing and say, God, I am sorry. I am sorry. I turn from that thing. Without there being any kind of godly sorrow, there can never be genuine repentance. And so godly sorrow means this. It's very simple, very plain, but it just means sadness and grief. To be heavy in heaviness, in essence. A deep sense of being sorry. Now take a look at this. I'm going to read this to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. And it says this, for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Now take a look at that. I, I need to read this to you again in the Message Bible, uh, the version uh, of the Message Bible. I'm going to read uh, the New King James Version one more time, verse 10 of chapter 7, 2 Corinthians. It says, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading unto salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Take a look at this. The Message Bible. It says, Distress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets. End up on a deathbed of regrets. Now, I'm going to read it to you one more time in the, the Passion Translation. Same scripture. Take a look at this. It said, God designed us to feel remorse over sin in order to produce repentance. That's what she was talking about. That leads to victory. This leaves us with no regrets, but the sorrow of the world works death. So in essence, God's sorrow leads one to turn. That's what that godly sorrow uh, uh, makes us feel on the inside, to cause us to turn away from that thing, not just stay there and ask for forgiveness and stay there again and ask for forgiveness. That's not repentance, and that's not something you're going to receive forgiveness for. Because God is in expectation, whether it's genuine sorrow that you receive when you're first asking God into your life, 
okay, the essence of salvation, but then as you continue to mature, that when you see something, when God shows you something and you feel that prick in your heart that you're doing that's incorrect, that's wrong, you have the choice to either turn that truth off or to, to feel that genuine sorrow, that prick on the inside of you, and now begin to turn. Because if there's no turning, there's no forgiveness. If there's no sorrow, there's no fruits to even for God to receive your asking of forgiveness. Does that make sense? And so let me say it like this. Uh, I told you about the godly sorrow and kind of what that produces. But take a look at this. The worldly sorrow causes grief, but to the place of deep depression, anxiousness with no hope. In fact, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22 says it like this. A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. And so this is even something that does something to your body physically, like you were talking about earlier. It does something to our bodies that then when we don't pay attention to that, that feeling of sorrowfulness, you can take that sorrow or that sorry feeling and become hard and push it down and pay no attention to it. I've done that in times past, and it, and it feels horrible because that's when your heart starts to get calloused, and then that's when you begin not to feel it, okay? And so, but when it talks about the sorrow in the world, this is something to pay attention to because uh, it, it differentiates. The, the sorrow of the world or the depression of the world has no hope. But when God allows us to feel sorrow or to, to feel sorry, it's something that produces something else on the inside of us. So take a look at this. I want to read this to you. Verse 11 of chapter uh, uh, 7 of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, verse 11, chapter 7. I'm going all backwards there, aren't I? 2 Corinthians, chapter 7, verse 11. <laughs> it shows you what uh, exactly what godly sorrow produces. And I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to read it in the Spirit-Filled uh, Life Bible, um, New King James. And then I'm going to read it to you in the message because this is powerful. This is absolutely powerful. And the Apostle Paul was actually excited when he said this. Look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11. It says, For observe this very thing. So this is what he was saying. He was saying, Now take a look at this thing right here. He says, That... You sorrowed in a godly manner. Look at this, for that you sorrowed in a godly manner. He said, what diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this manner. So what is he saying? He's saying, hey, take a look at what sorrowful, genuine repentance really produces in you. Now, I'm going to read it to you in the message version because you need to get this. This is what genuine sorrow, this is what, that, that sorrow that God produces on the inside of you, causes you to feel on the inside of you. When you pay attention to it, it produces something. Here it is. The message Bible. Same verse. And now, isn't it wonderful all the ways in which this distress has goaded you closer to God? I'm going to read that again. That's powerful. And now, isn't it wonderful all the ways in which this distress or this sorrowful feeling has goaded you, has, has pricked you, uh, 
closer to God. It says, you're more alive, more concerned, more sensitive, more reverent, you're more human, more passionate, more responsible. Look at it from any angle. You've come out of this with a purity of heart. And that is what I am hoping for in the first place when I wrote the letter. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, and this is what I was hoping for. He said, he even said this in scriptures above that. He says, I, I didn't mean to make you feel sorrowful. I didn't mean to make you feel sorry, but I kind of did. Because I needed you to feel that sorrowfulness. I needed you to feel that because it is that sorrowfulness that is the right fruit so that you can ask and repent and ask for forgiveness and, and move on and grow and mature. And so he says, my primary concern was not for the one who did the wrong or even the one who wronged, but for you, that you would realize and act upon the deep, deep ties between us before God. That's powerful, church. That is powerful. I have so much to, uh, more to talk about on this particular subject. I believe that God is going to continue to to just begin to speak um, through both of us, uh, to begin to just uh, make this relatable uh, to what God is doing and speaking to this generation. If you haven't shared this session uh, uh, with someone, please make sure that, that your Christian friends or even those that are unsaved begin to get this, this message because God is giving an understanding of why we need genuine sorrow why should one uh even have godly sorrow that's a good question isn't it why, why should we even feel godly sorrow why do we need to feel that and so that's another conversation that we'd like to talk about is, is why why do we even need to feel sorrowful from god and what that looks like um church i believe that god is really beginning to open up this message in regards to what an older generation has ministered and how our younger generation has received it. We have allowed the realm and the culture of political correctness kept us, it has kept us back. It has held the church back from delivering the purity of the gospel. It has held the church back from giving the next generation what they genuinely need. And they cannot wonder why that younger generation tries to be Christians and tries to hold on to a sinful nature and a sinful life and sinful actions and still expect themselves to be blessed, still expect themselves to, to walk in purity and be holy. And God says, no, that's not the way of the old path. That's not the ancient trails that I have laid since the beginning. And church, I believe with all my heart that God has taken us back to that old, worn trail. And, and older generation, pastors, ministers, if you were to ask a younger generational person in your church what genuine sorrowful repentance is, would they be able to tell you what it is? We have to ask ourselves that question 
as an elder generation. What, what, what does purity mean? What, what does holiness, what does holy behavioral, uh, behavioral holiness really mean? Father, I thank you for the power of your word. I really thank the Lord for just kind of opening this up to you as well, too. It's just a confirmation of, of what God is doing and what God is getting ready to release right before us. Church, through this whole COVID-19 quarantine time that we have, the message of genuine sorrowful repentance and why we need it even, is now a conversation that has to be opened up to uh, the generations that are before us. Amen? Amen. Let's prepare our hearts for communion this morning, please. Father, we thank you for your presence. And if you could just take a moment, I'm going to give you a a minute to go ahead and and gather your gather the elements get some juice piece of bread <clears throat> Father we bless your holy name Father we thank you for the power of your word and Father, we thank you for open eyes to see, open ears to hear, and open hearts to receive that which you are doing and that which you are speaking. And Father, I thank you for this younger generation. I thank you for uh, the millennials, Father. I thank you for the, the Z generation. And Father, just these generations that are before us. Father, we thank you for joining the generations together. Father, your word says... In Malachi 4, 6, that, Father, that you would have a time to where you would turn the hearts of the fathers. It has to happen in the right order, church. That God would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. That means that the hearts of the father, fathers and mothers would be so concerned about the next generation that they would give them the purity of the word of God, the purity of the laws, the purity of the precepts and concepts of the kingdom. And that they would live them out before them and say, this is the old path, this is the old trail, the old worn trail that God the Father has set for us since the beginning. He says, look this way. And so when, when the elder generation, the fathers and mothers, begin to teach their children and, and their young adult children these things, the Word says this, that God would turn the hearts of the children to the wisdom of the fathers, to the wisdom of the fathers and mothers. And this word becomes so very clear. While churches were separating the youth, separating the adults, and separating the, even the older generation and saying there's no more use for you, God is saying, no, you can't do that, not my house. There is a joining together of the generations because we're not separated generations. We are one generation one people and so you can see that God the Father is doing this thing and that God is revealing himself in very powerful powerful ways and Father we thank you for the blood of Jesus 
We thank you, Father. You know what we forgot to do? I forgot to do our declaration. I totally missed that one. We're going to have to do it at the end. You know that, right? Okay. Let's go ahead and let's put up the scripture for our time of communion. Amen. Father, we thank you. Before we read that portion right there in 1 Corinthians, I'm going to read to you. They don't have this up there, but I'm going to read this to you. Go ahead and leave that up. It's okay. I'm going to read to you Psalms 103, the beginning portion. And it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Father, we thank you for the benefits of the kingdom. But Father, your word says in Corinthians that Father, it first says to judge your own heart. And so Father, even right now, we take a moment, God, that if, if we're feeling sorrowful for something or a lifestyle that we have lived, something we have done wrong or an unforgiveness that we have had in our heart for someone else, the word even talks about to, to lay down your offering and to go and ask for forgiveness or go and talk to that one that you have unforgiveness with. Go and get that out of the way. And then come back into the table of the Lord that you may take the body and blood of the Lord, that you may receive the kingdom benefits because now you have you have allowed yourself to have a genuine heart of sorrowfulness, a genuine heart of repentance. There have been fruits worthy of repentance. And Father, we thank you that, Father, that we can feel that prick on the inside, that we can feel that feeling that I have hurt my God's heart. And so, Father, it gives us the right to acknowledge it and, Father, to ask for forgiveness. Because, Father, your word says that when we come to the table of the Lord, that if we will judge ourselves, that, Father, judgment would not come upon us. So, Father, we thank you for that. Lift the bread. Father, your word says, For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Take and eat. Lift the cup. In the same manner, he also took the cup 
after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you and we will not forget all of your benefits. Father, you are the one through your son Jesus Christ that forgives all of our iniquities. Father, who heals all of our diseases. Father, through Jesus Christ, you redeem our life from destruction. And Father, you have crowned us with your loving kindness and tender mercies. And Father, you satisfy us with good things. Father, that our youth is renewed like that of the eagle. Take and drink. Hallelujah. Father, we bless your name. Father, I thank you for my daughters. I thank you for the generation that is before us. If there are those out of you out there that maybe you have not, you feel that on the inside of you. You feel that that sorrow. You feel that the very essence of feeling sorry as if you have not lived the life that Christ has called you to live. This message is for you, the message of hope. God gives you a message of hope today. You can ask the Lord Jesus in your life. You can have a, a genuine sorrowfulness that leads you into that place. Uh, like Victoria was saying, don't let that feeling leave you. You need to respond to that feeling. Because when you respond to that feeling, that means that as you reach out to God, God is going to meet you. He is going to meet you. And when you ask Him for forgiveness, uh, He's never going to look at that sin again. He's not going to bring it back into your face. He's not going to say, hey, you, you remember what you did? He's not going to say that to you. The Word says, as far as the east is from the west, so is your sin to Him. He doesn't see it or acknowledge it any longer. It is washed by the blood of His Son, Jesus. Father, we thank You for that. We thank You. I'm just going to hand this over to Victoria, and she's just going to sing a song to us uh, unto the Lord. I believe that the Lord is going to continue to minister to you. And if you need that time of, of genuine sorrow and repentance in your home, you just allow this song to minister to you. In Jesus' name. Love you, church.